Howdy. Hey there, room one. It's five o'clock on Monday afternoon, and we are ready to go for another round of group coaching. Um, I'm Jess, and I will be your host for tonight. If you don't mind re, uh, renaming yourselves, and if anybody has anything they'd like to get coached on, please raise your hand. Um, you can also go into the chat and write down any questions. So um, I'll just give you guys a few minutes to keep joining us. And then if anything pops into your mind, please go ahead and volunteer at any point in time. And um, I will rename you if you don't rename yourself. Somebody here, I don't know if this is... Uh, I'm going to say this like discreetly. If you have a two-letter name right now, is that your real name or do you want to be renamed? Because um, I don't know. And, and then go ahead and volunteer if anybody has anything they'd like to talk about. Okay, we have a volunteer. Let me allow you to talk. Howdy. Good evening. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Good. So I I, I wanted to talk about an event that occurred a few weeks ago. Um, okay. But I don't know. It's just kind of really bummed me out. And even like today when I was driving to work, I'm like, oh, man, it just makes me sad. Um. So, um, I had a lady, um, who the ER called, um, it was the 4th of July weekend. Um, and we usually take the whole holiday weekend when we're on call. Mm -hmm. Um, so I get a phone call from the ER and the ER doc was like, Hey, this lady, um, she's in her twenties and I, I think she has some developmental issues, um, and so her mom is insisting that you do the surgery on her. That is a, it's a common general surgery that we do gallbladder surgery. Okay. And, but she it's for biliary dyskinesia. Um, so that's kind of like something we don't like, it's not like a, an inflamed gallbladder. I mean, it can definitely hurt, but it's not usually like totally an emergency kind of surgery, but no problem. Um, he said, she's, they're not going to leave without you taking out her gallbladder. Okay. No problem. Um, so I go see them and, uh, put her on the OR schedule and actually got it done pretty quickly. And in the meantime, um, I'm trying to think what happened. Like the, the mom was kind of calling the shots that the daughter, she is, um, she drives, she has a job. She, um, uh, so I'm not really sure what the whole issue there is, but the daughter says the mom calls the shots too. Okay. So mm -hmm. do the surgery. It goes fine. Um, the next day she's better, but still doesn't feel like she can go home. I'm like, okay, but you know, okay. I think you're, you know, we probably need to get this under control and, and maybe you need more workup as an outpatient, but we've got the, the gallbladder out. Okay. 
So she does eventually go home. I think the next day after that. So I was on call all weekend. And then on Wednesday, I get a text from my boss that said, Hey, call me when you get a chance. And that's, you know, always like, Oh, great. <laughs> Something's yeah. the matter. <laughs> Cause it's not call me because let's talk about, I don't know, fun things, but, um, so I, I call him and he's like, Hey, um, I just want you to know that this mom is saying that you are acting like you this weekend, you were, um, uh, not, uh, unkempt and she thought you were probably on, uh, drugs or drunk at, you know, 9am. And <laughs> I know I was like, Oh man, really? What? And he's like, I totally don't think that about you but I think you have to know about it. And so I'm like, okay, what do we do? And he's like, I think, you know, just, well, he told me to be nice to her and, and smile a lot, which is hard when you're wearing a mask, but I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So I like for immediately, I'm like, I talked to one of my, uh, like another surgeon in a different specialty that I'd spent most of the weekend with. And, you know, you know, seeing patients and being in a little dictation room together. And, you know, we'd had a lot of interaction. He's like, what? And he also knew this patient. And uh, so then I talked to one of my others, like a senior partner, and he's like, you got to get, we got to prove that you're not any of those things. And, um, and of course, like, you know, four days of call in the middle of two long weeks that, of course, you're not going to look the best. And my, my eyeliner melted in the car and whatever, like, I don't need to wear eyeliner, but I usually do anyway. So he's like, okay, you gotta, you gotta prove this. So you need to ask for, uh, your, the boss to order your UDS. So on the way home that night, um, I went to Walmart and just bought one and mm-hmm. did it and took pictures that's not official. And so then I'm like, okay, here's one, but I, I want an official one. And he's like, I, I still don't, I emailed the boss that I still don't think you need one. The boss is a, is a doc, a surgeon also. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and I thought about more the next one. I'm like, yeah, I think I do. I want an official one. Um, and so in the meantime, I'm like, I'm just going to go, I'm like, how do I get like a supervised UDS? So I'm found a place. I paid my 75 bucks and went in and had some lady watch me pee and try to talk to me, which is, you know, very difficult, (laughs) but I did, it was negative. And I sent it in, sent it to him and like the CMO and they're like, well, we're so sorry you were in this situation. And, but I'm like, this just makes me feel like crap because then, Mm -hmm. then the, the next day or so the patient cat came back in for a post-op visit because she was a little worried about something and it was all fine. But I'm still like, I'm like thinking, listen, you just like have put me through the ringer. This day. It doesn't say anything about it. Um, and then like a week later or so she came back for another visit, still doesn't say anything about it. And I know that when people, you know, I guess she had threatened calling, they always call, they say they're going to threaten and call the news. Um, and so I don't know. It's just, I know this is nothing about me mm-hmm. and it's all about her. And I, I think some more came out later. She told other people that she had had issues with alcohol and drugs. And so she knew the look. I think the look is probably similar 
to being on call and being up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've had that look for, you know, 20 years I've had that look. <laughs> I think it's but, proven actually that um, your, um, that your motor skills are the same as having some amount of drinks. Sure. Yeah. Just, it just makes you feel crappy though. When yeah. like, all I'm doing is trying to, I don't like call sucks. I'm just taking it. I'm just doing my part. I'm taking care of patients on a holiday weekend while everybody else is out. And I don't know. <laughs> um, I have a couple of questions. So this patient's in her twenties who signed the consent form. The mom did. Okay. And, um, I, before we go into like coach realm, I wonder, was there any like, um, concern about mom, mom's behavior, the potential for harming her child? Like, is this like a Munchausen sort of situation or, um, I I mean, that's always possible. I know that definitely thought came across my mind, came across the other, you know, my nurses that I was working with that Mm -hmm. once on the floor, um, so, yeah, I mean, that's totally, but I mean, what do, so yeah, right. So blame it on me. <laughs> and, and this yeah. thing is, is like, if I'm so awful and look like I'm drunk and on drugs, then why would you let me operate on your kid? Right. I mean, that's the thing is it doesn't really make sense. And, and so that's why my first question is, is um, about the is, patient and the yeah. safety of the patient. And is this mom, you know. It just, right. it's like a strange, it's like a, you know, a strange, we all have been around the block so yes. many times that our spidey senses go up Yes, when things are right. just kind of like, huh? Like insisting on an operation on a holiday, right? Uh, like, <laughs> a, like a non-urgent or emergent yes. operation on yeah. a holiday. And like, we've all been there. We've all been there. And like, you kind of get backed into a corner a little bit. Um, Cause it's like, you're damned if you do, if you do, and you're damned if you don't sometimes. And right. Uh, so I totally understand that. And I sympathize with what you have experienced. And um, I'm sorry that that all happened, but it did. And, oh, I wanted another clarifying question with the two follow-ups. Did the mom come to those? Oh yeah. And she tried to give me a hug. Ah, <laughs> <Both> okay. <laughs> I did wear real clothes. I did you know, actually have like actual pants and a shirt on instead of just scrubs. (laughs) And I found another eyeliner, but. (laughs) Wow. So, you know, thank you for sharing that all with us because I think a lot of people can relate and we've all, you know, we've all been there. Um, So now that some time has passed and, and you've kind of like processed it, it sounds like a little bit, what is the what is the lingering issue that you have? I'm just still angry. Like that something like that, like an accusation could have gone to the board. I mean, it still could, she still could have put it to the board and then it's not even going to come through the state board for six months because I'm sure they're behind on paperwork. It's just, it's a scary thought that I could lose my career over some kind of accusation like that. Yeah. So is that then the problem? It's like, I could lose my, I could lose yes. my license or whatever. Yeah, right. Because the medical board is what you're talking about. Right. Okay. So I'm going to put in the C-line patient plus mom. Cause we, I don't need to recap that. I think we yeah. all get it. 
Um, and then I could lose my license or career. Yes. yes. Is the T. Um, and by the way, when she made this report, like what, what venue did she use to say that these things about you? Was it like a patient, um, you know how they have those like patient yeah. advocates? It, I, I heard it from my boss who must've heard it from somebody in the hospital, but, but the CMO knew about it. And, um, and then they mentioned some other name, which it's not a real big hospital, but I didn't recognize that person, but I think there are some, there is like a patient experience person that probably takes those kind of phone calls. Okay. So if you're thinking I could lose my career, how do you feel? Oh, shitty. (laughs) I don't know. I'm like, like, uh, out of control, like spinning out of control. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like kind of vulnerable. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, um, this is interesting because really, I don't know how it is for, um, all the states, but I've practiced in a few states and I had a complaint made against me in the state of Missouri. Mm-hmm. And um, in the state of Missouri, all complaints have to be taken seriously by the board as their rules. So right. they investigate every one of them. And mm-hmm. I mean, it would, it doesn't matter how frivolous the complaint is. They could, they could basically say you have bad breath and make a complaint and they, and then have to get that investigated. Yeah. So, um, like in a sense, you know, we kind of all are, I think, a little bit at the mercy of just trusting our patients that people aren't going to do that. But I think the reality is, is that pretty much there is a little little bit of a level of vulnerability and all that, you know? Yeah. And that's why I think like, I mean, I was glad that my senior partner was like, you got to get a UDS. You've got to show that it's negative. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it, I'm glad it was negative. I, I'm not, don't partake in anything, but you know, what if that's, uh, what if I did, you know, like, and that's a scary thought that, but I don't. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's circle back to the model here. So like you're feeling out of control and what, how do you then act when you're feeling that way? Well, I'm just, ticked it, ticked it a lot of things, ticked that, that call sucks. It's always sucked. Ticked it being tired, ticked it, you know, being vulnerable. But another uh, feeling that I did also feel is the fact that I was very thankful that I had, um, I had, uh, two docs and an administrator and uh, one of the nurses I had worked with all weekend that said that they hadn't noticed any of that stuff. So, uh, and they wrote letters in my favor. So that was yeah. right. That made me feel good. Like they, I mean, and I, and I told them, if you think that about me, then you need to stop me. Like I would stop you, not, not well, you too, but in them, if we're in the OR lounge and And I didn't think they were safe. Yeah, because presumably you were tired, right? Like presumably on call, like four days in a row. um, I mean, that's, 
that is, um, is, I mean, it was your call kind of like a brutal call. Oh yeah. I mean, they always are. And then like, you know, when you work the week before and then, you know, you're working the week after, but then this, the holiday weekend is this four days of, of super intensity that you're available all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, this is helpful to clarify, right? Because if this, cause I was assuming this lady is out of her mind and she's just like making shit up. But what you're suggesting is that perhaps you did appear as if you were, um, you know, out of sorts. And that would be because of the fatigue and the, um, you know, just working and cases and consults and all that stuff. And so the real question is, is yes, if I am impaired, whether or not it's from drugs or lack of sleep or whatever, right. it's like, well, did I look impaired? Was, and then are you questioning whether or not you, um, were impaired? No, I wasn't impaired. I mean, I don't think I was impaired. I just think my hair was probably standing straight up or, and I had, you know, scrubs untucked, which is a pretty common look for me. (laughs) Yeah. Like running around like a chicken with your head cut off. Yeah. Like taking care of a bunch of patients. And, and I, I remember my interactions with her, they weren't weird. I just told them like, I'm, I can do this surgery for you. But the thing about biliary dyskinesia is you can't guarantee that somebody's pain's going to resolve. I mean, most of the time it does. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think sometimes people don't like hearing that, that, oh, you're not going to solve my problems by doing the surgery. Well, I can't mm-hmm. guarantee that. Yeah. I mean, we can never guarantee it. Right. So, so now two weeks have passed or four weeks or however many weeks, mm-hmm. and this is still on your mind, right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So is it still kind of that feeling of out of control or vulnerability? That's kind of the unpleasant part of it or the part that kind of won't leave you alone. Uh, Yeah. And it's just like, it's just one more thing that's unpleasant right now. (laughs) Just one more thing. I know. Damn the universe. So then if we complete your model and we all hopefully have enough experience with this now to know that like this patient makes her, makes her observations and reports. And then you're thinking I could lose my career you feel out of control. So, and then you, there's this like flurry of activity that happens out of that feeling of being out of control mm-hmm. because the human brain so despises uncertainty that it needs to have some illusion of control. So your brain is just going to do this shit just so it feels better. Right. And usually what we do is like, we make up a bunch of negative futures because the brain would rather lock on to something it thinks bad is going to happen than mm-hmm than to be uncertain. And also, you know, we'll, we'll, um, just spin out with our own thoughts, thinking about all the ways in which everything's gone to shit. And like, this is one more thing that's gone to shit. So that's all perfectly normal that that's happening. And, um, it's a function of your brain, not liking uncertainty. 
And I think that this, um, this event is just basically highlighting another way in which we are basically living in uncertainty all the time. Yeah. Like really. But the funny thing is, is we're not really spinning out about uncertainty in other areas. Like most of us are not worried that we're going to die driving to work in the morning because even though that's possible, like we just, our brains aren't focused on it. And so it's just Mm -hmm. not on our radar, but this is now on your radar. So of course you're going to be locked onto it. And then the result will be is that you're just going to basically prove to yourself how everything is out of control. Yep. Um, so, and you know that I know, I know your voice. I know that you practice these models and practice this stuff. So, um, is there room to just kind of let this be knowing that this sort of stuff's going to come up and that it can just exist in your world, just like it'll have to exist in all of our worlds and still be able to be, you know, kind of the person you want to be. I mean that, yeah, that that's what has to happen. Just, mm-hmm. it's just like me, me worrying about it is not going to change anything. And even if like the board calls me in six months, I feel like I've done what I needed to do to prove that I'm didn't have an issue there. Yeah. And let's say they do call you in six months. Let's assume that's going to happen. She files a complaint with whatever board of healing arts and now they have to investigate. Now what? I'll be like, here's my stuff. (laughs) That's right. You go through the process. There's a process for it. It's not pleasant, but we do it. You get an attorney they investigate the person who's a cuckoo bird proves they're a cuckoo bird and you have all your ducks in a row and the thing gets dismissed and it's annoying. But the reality is, is that you're not going to lose your career. Right. Over that, you know? Right. I mean, it's really, that's just as simple. It's, it's annoying and it takes a long time and it's painful to go through it, but people do it all the time and, and come out on top. Like it, I think, um, would take, and it's smart that you did what you did. Um, but that's not going to help you right now, right? Like right. your brain's just like, nah, it's, I'm probably going to totally lose my career. <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> I know <laughs> there's other stuff I'm probably good at. <laughs> yes. I'll find something. So <laughs> Here's kind of the thing that I've been working on with my one-on-one clients, because we all do this and these default responses that we have are a part of our internal protective mechanisms. So that's awesome because we don't want to get rid of our internal protective mechanisms. We need them. And Mm -hmm. when we need them, like we want them to be sharp and we want them to be like this functional it does not need to be this functional right now for the situation that is um, not really threatening. There's a perception of it being threatening, but it's not really threatening. So I love thinking about our, our survival skills, our default responses as like this really amazing function that we have that I'm so damn thankful for that Like, that's the thing that when the shit hits the fan, you're really happy that you have it. 
And it's almost like when we can sort of see it for the power that it has and for the safety that it gives us, we can sort of like loosen our grip around it a little bit and just let it just exist and also kind of redirect into whatever other realm of your reality that you would prefer to be focused on. So you don't have to make it go away. You don't have to bypass it. It can just live there and you can kind of visit it from time to time and be like, oh, it's still there. I'm, you know, my brain's still thinking this is a big deal, but I know that it isn't. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I feel like when you just allow it, it's almost like you can just go on with your life with so much less, um, just added pain and suffering by, you know, being mad at yourself that you're doing it in the first place. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Cool. So is there anything else that you wanted to talk to about that? Talk to, talk about to, wait, I don't know what I'm saying. I mean, I, (laughs) I definitely think that part of the protective response of getting upset about it is that, you know, I went to people that I thought could provide me guidance and they're like, nope, you're getting, you know, you're doing these things because we're going to prove this wrong. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then before we kind of move on to the next topic, this kind of circles back to something that I'm feeling quite strong about right now, which is how we actually do the job of surgery where some institutions might included require you to be on call multiple days in a row. And like, is this an opportunity to question that? Yes. Like, should we really be doing that? If you're, if you're in a place where it's not busy, then maybe it's not a big deal. But if you're in a place where it's very busy, then one or two days in a row, three, four days in a row can start to get kind of hairy, you know? And, and if it's even a question of, gosh, would I be able to recognize if I'm impaired or would somebody else recognize and stop me if I'm looking impaired? Like, like that's a pretty big question to ask. And it makes me wonder if this could even serve as some kind of a conversation point for you and your group about the safety of the way you guys conduct your call. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what the expectation of the hospital is. And, and I've talked to the CMO about it. I, I'm, I wanted to kind of get through this and, you know, and cool off about it before I go to um, the CMO and be like, Hey, you know, we probably need to do something because uh, I mean, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, and these, um, mountains can sometimes be hard to move just knowing what it has been like within my small group, trying to just put ideas into people's head about, Hey, what do you think about doing it this way or that way? Or is this really working for you? Because Mm -hmm. I know it doesn't really feel like it's working for me. Maybe we could split weekends, maybe this, maybe that. And it's like a bit of a, um, crusade, you know, that has not a whole lot of people wanting to listen, but on the flip side, 
will it take like a sentinel event for something to change? Maybe not for your call schedule, but for some of these systems issues that we deal with. Because this example can be kind of extrapolated for all kinds of different things we face in a clinical setting. And and then who do you want to be showing up to some of these issues that you recognize as potentially needing revision? Right, right. So it is a little something for people to think about if you're facing anything like that. Um, okay, so I will just ask if anybody else has anything that they want to talk about. And then if we don't have any more volunteers, then um, if there's anything else that you wanted to add, going to rain or anything else, you know, related to that, we can come back to you. But for now, I will lower your hand and disable the thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for volunteering. Um, so is there anything else on your list? We've got somebody fresh cut grass. Pretty proud of that name. Howdy. Hi, Jess. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Um, that was a helpful, that was a helpful thing to listen to. I think it's kind of getting me in the right place for this, but my issue, it's, it's not that complex, but it's a complication, um, that I, I just found out about. So I'm just mm. in that place where I'm like, I'm remembering the case. This is an elective case. I remember the whole thing. I remember where things kind of didn't go as well as they could have. Mm-hmm. and it's simple just a hernia and a hernia occurrence it's not like it's not like major major but you know I just I'm just feeling so bad like this person you know for the patient like they're a young healthy person and um and I just wish it didn't happen and now I have to figure out next steps and um yeah. And, and fix CM in clinic. I was distributing my clinic cases. So I'm just, you know, I'm just all the things like, God, I, I'm so bad that why, or, you know, like the, why did that case go bad? Why didn't I stop whatever was happening? I can't remember all the details, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm just going through all those thoughts of like, I wish I, I had done this or that back then. And, you know, I, I, I had just started doing this procedure in this way. So he was one of the first few cases was that is that fair to him like um and now he has recurrence and I don't know so I just feel kind of like crap about that I know it's not that it's not life or death (laughs) but I still feel like a jerk (laughs) and I can't I and I'm thinking about it comfortably you know so this is so awesome to talk about because this will help us with a way to help draw the line between what is us as like um, a service that we offer and what is us as a human? Because I think the biggest crux of the complication kind of theme is we usually internalize everything and make it mean something about us that we're no good. Like we're just horrible human being for making this decision and doing it this way. When in reality, it really has nothing to do with who you are as a human being. 
it's like, okay, a decision was made. This is the outcome. You know, you don't like the outcome, but like we just, we lack this ability to kind of be clinical about the complication, you know? And then when we um, really make it mean something about us, that's when it's super painful, but it can also be really informative about, about ourselves. So if we could maybe make a model on that, I think we can maybe just learn a little bit about why this matters so much to you. Um, okay. So the, I'll just keep it generic as complication. And you said a few thoughts there, but what do you think the one is the like dominant one or the one that kind of like keeps recurring for you? Uh, that, you know, I, it was a couple years ago and I had just learned this technique robot I mean robotics they just really learned robotics Mm -hmm. and he was one of the first patients I did and so I'm just like because I know now that would never happen I I feel like it'd be very uncommon very unlikely but I'm just remembering his case and remember thinking about um the issue in his case like I'm I basically like the varus needle like it I, I accidentally insulated like the in in the peritoneal lining so I didn't have good landmarks so I made this huge pocket for his mesh instead of like a little pocket that it fits right into so I'm sure it slipped or something you know something like that like so at probably a long time ago and now it's manifest you know within the last year now it's like manifesting okay so hold on hold on so sorry we gotta dumb it down for the bone doctor here (laughs) yeah So, okay. So this Basically, case, like, I keep thinking like it was one of my first cases doing robotics, doing robotic hernias. And, um, and I'm mad at myself, like back, maybe I feel like, wasn't I, was I not ready then? Should I have had the person who had like, credentialed me come look at the case when I re- realized that I had this huge pocket? Should, did I not like fix, did I not like do things properly once I had this big pocket made? okay gotcha so you're second guessing this pocket situation yeah yeah and the fact that I was new to robotics and I didn't like uh and maybe I didn't know what I didn't know like I didn't I don't know like I feel like had I done like a standard like I've been doing lap repair laparoscopic repairs for a long time and I've been doing open repairs obviously for a long time so it's like those would have been fine like and I, Mm -hmm. I just wouldn't have happened but I was like trying to get more robotic spaces to get more experience, obviously. Sure. And then, uh, yeah. And then, and then of course, one of my first few patients now comes back with a recurrence. <laughs> okay. So, so then what's, what are you making it mean about you? Oh, I always think like, oh, well, if he had gone to my, uh, like one of the better more experienced surgeons, this wouldn't have happened to him. And so I am therefore, I don't know. Like I'm not, I wasn't good enough to do this at the time. Yeah. I wasn't good enough. I, I suppose I wasn't as good as it could have. I mean, obviously it wasn't good enough. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's it. Okay. I always just like to kind of like 
find out what's the superficial message that you're giving yourself. And then we want to look under that and say, okay, what's the real meaning of that message? So just for the people who listen to this afterward, you may notice that the thing you're saying is, gosh, I should have had my partner come in and look, or I should have had my, I should have just sent him to my partner, or I should have asked somebody about the pocket. Really the meaning under all of that is I wasn't good enough at the time to do the job. So we always want to know what is that real message, whether it's conscious or unconscious that your brain is like giving you, because that's what you're responding to in your body. So when you're thinking, I wasn't good enough at the time, how do you feel? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like anxious. Um, my brother's dog is like jumping on me. He's visiting. Um, I'm not used to having a dog. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I feel, yeah, I feel anxious, sad, like inferior. Uh, there it is. Inferior. I'll put anxious and sad over here. So we'll just like leave them hang out over here. But I think inferior, you nailed it. So when you feel inferior, what do you do? Second guess yourself. Like yeah. now you're second guessing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You're beating yourself up. I get, yeah. And then I also, yeah, I, I start to kind of spin my wheels. Like, what am I going to do next? I don't take like, I guess the right steps. Spin out to, about yeah. what to do next. Yeah. Yeah. So what we see here is that the actions, they sometimes can be these silent actions that we do all in our brain where you're like, okay, now you're in a thought loop about rehashing out all the details of the case and like imagining the pocket and imagining all the ways that you could have done something differently. And then for sure he would not have a recurrence of his hernia. But let me ask you a question. Is there a recurrence rate for hernia surgery, no matter what way you do it? Yeah, of course. Right? There's a recurrence yeah. rate. And yeah. are there risks associated with all kinds of different surgery? Like, for example, and just tell me if I'm wrong, because I'm a bone doctor, so I may not know. Like, if you have a robotics case that you're doing, and say you convert to an open case, doesn't that change the risk in some way? Uh, yeah. Right. Or if you have a laparoscopic case and you convert to open, that changes the risk. And just because yeah. we have one going one way and we convert to doing it another way, doesn't mean that they're not going to still have a complication. Like we can still do everything in our power at the time and they can still have a complication. Mm, that's interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but, the, but the thing that mm. our brains want to do is go back and say, and convince us that for sure, if we would have just done something different, nothing bad would have happened, but that's not true. Yeah. It's but sometimes not. I know I, I hear you there. Sometimes though, I feel like it, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't like it when I hear, I don't know. Cause you know, I, I, I work in, you know, I, I trauma and I work in ICU and I hear all people being like, you know, kind of blaming, not blaming the patient, but 
I, I don't always agree with like saying, oh, that, that might've been the outcome no matter what. That's what people say to like make them feel better. But sometimes I think it actually is like was a technical failure or whatever, you know? So well, yeah. That I, may be, but if there's a technical failure, then it's wonderful if you want to determine if that was tr- like actually a contributing factor right? And we, we can find out what that technical thing is and then get better. And that's what the whole purpose of M&M is, but it doesn't mean, um, that like, even if there was a technical failure, it still doesn't mean that the outcome would be different. Like we would have to have a crystal ball. We would have to have a crystal ball that goes backwards in time to know if anything would be done different, if things would be like, okay, now, does that make sense? Yeah, of course. If you truly know, yes. And so we can do that. Like we can, we can hold these two things at the same time. We cannot beat ourselves up about any of it. And also look for the technical ways that we can improve or look for the technical ways that maybe something like you can understand, oh, well, I think this might have increased his risk for a recurrence. Yeah. Even if you don't know for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, I guess, I guess maybe part of it is like, even if it was a technical failure, um, which it was, <laughs> no, I mean, probably. Um, I I don't have to like tag so much personal drama to it. I mean, you're, I'm not going to be a 20 year experience surgeon my first year. That's right. So that's a really great segue into the next part of this discussion, which I wanted to ask you a question. Like now years have passed and I'm sure you still do robotic surgery, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And in order to get to where you are today, you had to have the experience that you had. Now, maybe not with this specific patient, but you have to get the reps. Like that's yeah. how we get good at stuff. Yeah. And so now you have the reps. So there's also kind of like these patients that we have, and nobody ever wants your patient to have a bad outcome or a complication, but in a sense, like we have to have the reps in order to get to where we are now. Yeah, I know. I just, that guilt is a little bit, that reality stinks. (laughs) Yeah, I know it does. So now let's finish the model and then figure out why that guilt is such a big deal. Um, So the model then is basically allowing you to prove to yourself that you weren't good enough then. And it's even creeping into the present where if you're like spinning out about what to do next, you're questioning if you're good enough now. Do you see that? Say it again. So with the model, when you start with your T of, I wasn't good enough at the time, Mm -hmm. right. And then you feel Mm -hmm. inferior and then you're second guessing yourself. And I'm going to add guilt to the feeling list too, because you just mentioned that but you're second guessing yourself and you're beating yourself up about decisions you made back then. 
And also then now thinking about what to do next and the way you described that was like in, in this sort of way where, um, I don't know if you said spinning out or if I did, but it, the way you described it kind of implied to me that there's like this energy around trying to figure out what to do next for this guy. Yeah. Yeah. It is like bleeding into now because I haven't, I haven't actually had a reparent. Like he's my, uh, yeah, I haven't had a reparent. So I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have done recurrent, but like hernias on other folks, but yeah, I, I'm kind of like, where, yeah, I'm starting to worry. Like, wait a minute, how, like, am I going to reapproach this robotically? Am I just going to do it open? Like, now, yeah, like, what's, and he's young and he's athletic, so I don't want to oh. have to do it open. Ugh. So, yeah, I'm going into all those, like, now I'm in the decision making now, I'm a little, I'm uncomfortable about. Yeah. So this is so great because this will help everybody learn that if you're thinking you weren't good enough, then that leads you to have this feeling in our feelings, just fuel our actions. The actions are basically then creating a result, which is you're proving to yourself that you weren't good enough then. And you're basically allowing yourself to consider you're not good enough now. Yeah. Does that make sense? So this is um, normal by the way. And I think we can kind of piggyback onto the first person who was talking about these default mechanisms we have, which are just a part of our survival system. So they're not bad in and of themselves, these reactions that we have, but where they become kind of a little bit more unpleasant is when it just becomes like dominant and we don't have any flexibility to move out of it. So before we try to move out of it, I wanted to ask a little bit about the feelings that you're having, because I'm a big believer that our feelings that we have really signpost to us. It's like our messaging system about our values, our wants, and our desires. So is there anything with this feeling of inferior or feeling of guilty? My guess is, is those are the dominant feelings that you're having. Um, but you also mentioned anxious and sad, like what's that telling you about you? Um, that I have low self-esteem. Well, it's possible, but I, I suspect that really it's telling you something about the way you value taking care of patients it's probably telling you something about you valuing excellence. Um, I bet it's telling you something about a desire you might have, like maybe, um, I don't know, like, yeah. I guess like, I always want, you know, I always think of this one chief resident I don't know I I I I don't have this attitude but this one chief resident when I was a junior resident he would say he would say if you cause a pneumothorax in a central line you get a second procedure out of the chest tube <laughs> like he would just be like if you have a complication you just fix it you know and you move on to the next and like you get you get two cases out of it instead of one and like that was his attitude and he wasn't like you know bad or anything he wasn't like um sociopath (laughs) no he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't but like I think maybe that's how he that was his mechanism for like coping with the learning curve perhaps and like I don't know so 
on the other hand, I'm like, well, now, well, I guess, you know, because I'll probably, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to some of the more experienced people that have done these recurrences. And I guess, you know, this is just painful learning. I'll learn how to do it. I'll, I'll wait because I'll get help and, and I'll, and I'll have, I'll go through it and here we are. <laughs> and so I That's, guess in the end, it might actually be like beneficial, you know, for you. my future practice, but. Well, we know that's a hundred percent likely. And mm-hmm. all you have to do is embrace that. And then, then of course it will help you learn. And by the way, you just mentioned to us that you have taken care of redos from other people. Yeah. So it's not yeah. like you don't have experience taking care of recurrent hernias. Yeah. And yeah. so like, any- I guess I didn't feel as nervous in those cases. Cause I was like, you know, I didn't feel responsible. So I was like, well, I'll do what I can. I'll do the best I can do. But in this case, you know, and then, and they turned out well, but in this case, I'm like, it's all my fault. (laughs) So it feels different. Yeah. Because if it goes poorly, I'll feel like if it, like on on those other recurrences, if it had gone poorly, I would have felt not the guilt because I would have been like, well, that first person didn't, didn't do it right. But now I'm that first person. So if this goes poorly, I've done wrong twice. You know, it's like, it's like doubly bad or triply bad. Yeah. Bad. But notice yeah. how easy it is to separate the clinical or technical aspects of it from the worth of the surgeon. So, you know, I've done this too. I've taken care of other people's complications and it's like so easy to be like, oh, well, this was a technical thing or this was missed or whatever, but we're not like, they are a horrible human being. They were not good enough to do this. Like, I mean, maybe we are sometimes, but most of the time (laughs) I feel like it's really easy to separate out like these technical and clinical aspects of a complication versus the worth and the like fitness of the person as a human being. But when it's ourselves, it's so tangled up. Like we, we just lack this clarity in this ability to tease apart what is a matter of a technical um, issue or some sort of skill, which can totally be built upon and changed and fixed versus the worth of yourself as a human. Like I'm not good. Yeah. Enough. I, the yeah, human, yeah, yeah. I'm not good enough. And I feel like right. that's our invitation here to really practice teasing those two things apart because we've all made technical mistakes Mm -hmm. and we will continue to make them. Like that's something we have to accept as surgeons and nobody likes it when that happens, but it doesn't mean anything about us as a human. And so Mm -hmm. we can look to those feelings and say, okay, well, what is my body trying to tell me about this? And am I really like learning here that I'm lacking confidence or self-esteem, which is something you mentioned. I don't, I don't know. I doubt it. I think it's probably more along the lines of like, I really demand excellence in what I do. This is important to me and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. It's Mm -hmm. like, I care about other people. I don't want to be the one who's um, involved in any of their pain and suffering. I don't want to be, I don't want to have that role. Like, yeah. And that's totally fine. But that's also like, I'm like, not good enough. That's totally different. Do you see the difference? Yeah. 
Yeah. So I just really like to look at those feelings that are so unpleasant to feel in the moment and say, okay, what's it really, what is my body really trying to tell me here? And then from there, it's like, oh, okay, now I can get to work. It almost gives you like the pathway to figure out what to do next. When you're like, oh, I demand excellence. Great. I'm going to talk to all these people and I'm going to learn from what happened here. And I'm going to figure something out that I wouldn't have otherwise known. I think a part of me too, is I'm like embarrassed to admit to these people who are always supportive and awesome that Mm -hmm. I have this recurrence because I've been really happy with myself and my cases and the volume I've been getting. And now I'm like, oh, yeah. And I feel like, yeah, I don't know. They're going to be awesome. They're going to be so supportive, but I just feel like a loser. (laughs) Cause I feel like, yeah, they're the kind of people that are like, you know, you'll hear them be like, oh, in my hands, like, you know, not this, you know, like that would happen in my hands or something like that. Not never to me, but I'll hear them say things like that in our in like group big group meetings so, right but you know I, that's bravado like a loser. yeah it is bravado I'm like okay in my hands <laughs> and most of the time uh, that's insecurity yeah maybe you I know? don't know they are really good surgeons though <laughs> they are but I guarantee you they're insecure at some level yeah Unless they people are people don't act like that yeah they are they are you're right they are because I work I, in the ICU <laughs> yeah and, I <laughs> and I've seen their complications <laughs> yeah That's right. You do. And so this is so interesting, right? Because this is just this invitation to be honest about all of it. And it's not really telling the truth. If you're like, I'm, I'm not good enough. I wasn't good enough. And this is all my fault. And I'm like going to second guess every decision and blah, 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 blah. That's not the whole story. That's a teeny tiny little part of the story that your brain is focused on right now. Yeah. And that's, and it's not the truth of that's the entire, true. the entire story. The entire story is much richer and much more complicated than that, including the fact that there are, there are patient factors. If he's athletic, who knows? He might've been, he might've been doing like doing three million sit-ups. Yeah. Kettlebells or whatever. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. he could have yeah. trying to be passing a big old log and then boom, hernia comes back. Like we, we don't know, but like I said to the first person, our brain hates uncertainty. Yeah, Like uncertainty is the absolute worst. And so our brain will immediately make everything our fault and us be the problem because that means we have more control. If we can be the problem, now we have control. Yeah, that's true. But it's in it, but it's just a bigger picture than that. And so all of this is this, opportunity to really tell the truth about the whole picture and it's when you tell the truth about the whole picture that you can really learn like you can learn about yourself you can learn about the patient you can learn about the robot you can learn about mesh you can learn about you know all of it I like what you're I like that thought too that you just said like how this is like a tiny and tiny tiny little twinkle in the story like you didn't say that but you know it's kind of interesting to think about yeah, about like the life of a surgeon or like the surgical career. Like it's true. This is like one tiny little fraction that I'm hyper focused on right now. Right. But if you look at it in like, yeah, the whole landscape and um, evolution, it's yeah, part of yeah. this. Yeah, 
it's an interesting, it's an interesting part of a much bigger story. It is. And thank you for reiterating that because I'll just talk a little bit for the group about what's going on in the human brain is we have this thing called a reticular activating system and it's basically a filter. And so when you have like one filter in, like right now, the filter is I, I made a mistake. This is all my fault. And so you're going to only find reasons and evidence for why it's all your fault. That's the way the human brain functions. You have this filter. This is the filter that's operating. And so that's all you can see. This kind of work, this kind of discussion, kind of using the model, trying to find the hot, the bigger picture will help you find other ways to filter this circumstance. And that is what helps you tell the broader story is when you change the filter or expand your point of view. So these are really great tools to practice and practice them all the time. And then when the shit hits the fan, you will have more um, flexibility to be like, oh yeah, like, okay, my reticular activating system's totally focused on this thing. That's what my brain's supposed to do. I have this ability. I can change my filter. I can expand my view. It's like practice. Yeah. 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 No, I think you're a hundred, you're spot on. I like that. The concept changed the filter. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. Fresh cut grass. I'm so grateful that you shared and that takes us pretty much to six o'clock. So if everybody is good or if there's anything else, anybody wants to comment on, we'll stay on a couple more minutes. Um, Let me lower your hand. I don't know if I can. Um, All right. So I think that might be the end of it. Thank you so much. You guys we will see you next time. Have a great rest of your night.